You're listening to Email Friday on Law and Gospel on this September the 2nd in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and this program will be one of my favorites, I'm sure, because of a two-hour conversation I had with a pastor last night. But we're going to begin by starting off with an email that I received from one of our listeners. Hello, Pastor Tom. We are Missouri Synod Lutherans. We have a wonderful cousin. She goes to an ELCA church. We don't know if we should tell her about the ELCA churches changing so radically or not. We have asked our own pastor what we should do, and he didn't really know how to advise us. We really don't want her to be in this mess. We listen to your program, Law and Gospel, every day and enjoy it very much. And then email address and name of husband and wife that wrote this email. Well, we got this yesterday, and I found that this is almost exactly what we needed to hear. Because the day before, we talked about, is diversity a biblical goal? Now, what were we we talking about? We were talking about that some churches now feel that you are not as good a congregation if you don't have mixed individuals in it. Whites, blacks, browns, different nations, etc. And so we discover from the Bible that having diversity is not a goal of a congregation. Uh, can you imagine in the Congo that you were telling them, I'm sorry, you only have black people. You need to get white people in your congregation or else you are not a proper Christian congregation. And we were taking a look at some of the folks that have become part of a group in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod called Lutherans for Racial Justice. And it is a coalition committed to fostering school cultures in pursuit of racial equity, justice, and healing within the community of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Now, I've been in numerous congregations, especially after retiring and going around and speaking to them. And I have yet to find a congregation that I think is racist. Now, there are congregations that may not have white people in them or black people in them, but that is due to the neighborhood in which they were. As I mentioned, in my own situation of 28 years in a congregation in University City, Missouri, the majority of new people were black. And that is because 
that's the neighborhood we lived in. And I can't remember any time where a white person in the congregation chastised me for allowing blacks to join the church. No, they loved to have different people come in and hear the message of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, we were a racially divided church, but that was due to God. That wasn't due to some kind of purpose we had. And yet you're, you're hearing that happening all over the place. Companies are saying that, well, we need to get more women on the board or more black people on the board uh, for controlling our company. And why are they saying that? Because they want to look good to the neighborhood. And what this does is when you see a woman or a black person, you wonder, are they on that board? Were they elected to that board because of their sexual orientation or because of the color of their skin or because they were the best choice? And that's a terrible thing for someone to choose somebody on the basis of skin color rather than on the basis of how well they operate in the world. It's part of the reason why a lot of schools are failing. And that's happening also in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We have our colleges, some of them, that are trying to be diverse. And some of the students there are really speaking things that are contrary, not only to the policy of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but to the Paul to the teachings of scripture itself. You see, if you take a look at this group, Lutherans for Racial Justice, they want racial reconciliation and equality in the church. Now, uh, take a look at this group, Black Lives Matter. What, what they mean is that therefore, you should consider them to be equal, even though they have views pro-abortion, pro-homosexuality, and that black people are victims in comparison to white people. Uh, frankly, being a pastor for as long as I have, there's nobody I know, black or white, who is not a victim of some nature because we live in the world of Satan and Satan loves to make us victims, loves to put us in positions where we wonder whether or not God exists. So when these people like Black Lives Matter say, you're not listening to us, we need to have more talks, what they're talking about is we're not agreeing with their gay lifestyle or the idea that abortion is okay. In the ELCA, for example, you have gay pastors, two men who are married, and they're still pastors in the church. Well, we're not going to listen to that. The ELCA has really become 
a non-Christian congregation. In, in fact, they have just adopted at their most recent convention a resolution that they were going to be talking about how to withdraw the okay of some members who are against, well, women ordination or the gay lifestyle. They're going to say that such members no longer can have that position in their church. And it was passed by a large, overwhelming majority, and people began to clap when they heard that these members of the ELCA would no longer be allowed to have a different opinion than the ELCA, even though their opinions, not of the ELCA, but their members were in agreement with Holy Scripture. That's going to happen at their next convention. So the question that we received in the email is we have a good friend who's a member of an ELCA church, and we don't know if we should tell her about the ELCA churches changing so radically or not. I'll tell you the sentence that really struck me was the next one. We have asked our own pastor what we should do, and he really didn't know how to advise us. Well, what kind of pastor is that? For example, if you went to your pastor and you were telling him, you know, my son is involved with a group that is not only taking illegal drugs to get high, but he's selling them on the street. What should I do about that? And the pastor says, I don't know how to advise you on that. You see, what we're having in many churches are pastors who want to stay defensive, but not offensive. In other words, the difference between law and gospel is the law can become very offensive to a person when you tell them that they are such a sinner that they deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. See, that's the teaching of the law. But a lot of pastors stay away from that because they don't want to upset their members. I know congregations that will not put up crosses on their yards to indicate how many abortions are occurring in their community because they don't want to offend people. This idea of not offending people is not found in the ministry of Jesus. He offended not only unbelieving Pharisees and Sadducees, he also offended his own disciples, telling them when they were wrong in not allowing children to come to him, or a woman who needed help from him. In other words, the church needs to be on the offense, not just on the defense. This occurred last evening when I was talking to a pastor for two hours, and we were getting into a very important subject, 
is how do we communicate the Christian message? He indicated to me that in his city, he has been contacted by a radio station that likes to have pastors from the city interviewed. And he was wondering, boy, maybe I should accept that and be able to share with them what Christianity is all about. So I asked him, I said, you know, that'd be a really good idea. Phone the radio station and say you'd like to be interviewed. And then I asked him, what would you say during that time period on the radio station? And he began to talk about how Lutheranism is Christian and Catholic, that we believe what the Catholic faith teaches in regard to Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, etc. We may disagree with some of their views on work righteousness, but the fact of the matter is we aren't that different, and that's why you'll see Lutheran worship services being very similar to, say, a Roman Catholic service. We had just finished talking about how he felt he wasn't really able to communicate with his congregation through a sermon, but he really enjoyed Bible studies because there it appeared he was able to be closer to his congregation. And he wondered why, how he could improve his sermons. And I said to him, well, the reason that you're enjoying the Bible study rather than just the sermon is because people are asking questions and you're speaking with them during the Bible study. How many times during the sermon do you say something and people in the congregation aren't sure what you mean and somebody says, wait a minute, pastor, don't go on with the sermon until you explain to me what is meant. Or, you know, pastor, I don't agree with what you just said. Uh, how are you going to deal with that? That doesn't happen often in sermons, but it can happen in a Bible study. And so he came to the conclusion that in his sermons, he was still being somewhat academic. That is, he was doing a sermon like a professor would teach a class, and he wasn't really touching the lives of the members. I said, one way to know whether or not you're making a difference is to take your sermon and have it typed out, and afterwards go through the sermon and underline every statement that members of the congregation have never heard before. He thought about that and came to the conclusion that I don't think there would be many underlines, and I agreed with him. I mean, how many times have you heard Christian pastors talking about Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and therefore you got the forgiveness of sins? But it's never really explicated. It's never explained. It never touches the questions that they have. 
So he asked me if I had the opportunity on a radio program to share what is distinct about Christianity, how would I put it? And here's what I told him. I would start off not by explaining Christianity, but my goal would be to shock the listeners. Shock the listeners? Well, oh yes. I just recently read a very good article by a man who had come to the conclusion that Christianity and the God of the Christians, the Holy Trinity, was the only true religion. And he did so on the basis of recognizing that in Christianity, none of his personal dreams came true. Now, that's really an interesting statement. That would be a shock to many people to tell them, yes, when you become a Christian, it means that your personal dreams may not be coming true. But the dreams of God within your life will definitely come to pass. You see, this is a huge difference between law and gospel. So what I would say on a radio program, I would begin by shocking the listeners. I would say that from my point of view, what the Christian church teaches is there is no good work you can do that will get you to heaven. And there is no sinful work you do that will get you to hell. Now, that will be a shock to the listeners because nobody thinks that way about Christianity. They, they believe that Christianity is all about being kind to your neighbor, doing good works. So God looks at you and says, you finally have made it. You are doing good works and therefore you are worthy to enter heaven. Do you know how many Christians are worried about the day that they're going to die and the day of judgment? Because they recognize their sin. They know they have fallen short of God. And they wonder, how am I going to get into heaven? And that's the difference between law and gospel. Under the law, there are promises. But under the gospel, there are promises also. The law says, if you do this, then you will be saved. But that is not what the gospel says. There is nothing you have to do in order to be saved. Oh, some people will say, well, you have to have faith. But that's not a work that you do. That is a gift given to you by the Holy Spirit. And it's very important to understand the distinction between law and gospel promises. Law promises are always conditional. That is, they will come true if you do what is necessary. If you obey this law, 
then God will bless you. I mean, how many times have you heard that? In fact, I've heard preachers talk about recently that the reason you're not getting blessed is you're not doing sufficient good works. If that isn't a contradiction of the Christian message, I don't know what is. The Christian message does not rely on your good works, nor does it depend on your sins to get you to heaven. Because Christianity has a different way of salvation. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? Doesn't it mean that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you'll be doing good works and God will compliment you as he does the sheep in Matthew 25 and says, because you've done those good works, heaven is your home. But if you look closely at that parable, the sheep are ignorant of when they did these good works. When did we do these? Because a good work is seen by God in a different way than as we humans regard good works. We regard good works by doing the deed or saying the right word or thinking the right thought. God looks at our good works and checks out our motivation. If the motivation of a work is not love for Jesus Christ, then in God's eyes, it's not a good work. In fact, God doesn't even refer to those as good works that are done by human beings, but the works that he regards as wonderful are called fruit of the Holy Spirit, which means that no Christian can do a good work in God's eyes, a fruit of the Holy Spirit, until they are totally saved. And how does that salvation come about? It comes about by the means of grace. And a lot of even Lutherans don't understand what are, what are the means of grace. They are God's word and his sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Let, let's just look at baptism. In baptism, God makes a promise. And that's what we need to be looking at, are the promises of the gospel. What is the promise connected to baptism? That you will not only receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins, but you will also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's the necessity of the Holy Spirit? Because only through the impulses of the Holy Spirit are you enabled to do proper fruit of faith with the proper motivation. Even though you may be unaware of your motivation, you still have a changed heart. In fact, the prayer of David comes true in every Christian who is baptized. What was that prayer? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. If you read Romans 7, you'll find out that that's called the new man. And the new man is always in conflict against the old Adam. In other words, even when you do 
a fruit of the Holy Spirit, a lot of times you have wrong impulses, wrong motivation. You may do something that people think, well, that's really good. But at times you do it in order to look good in the eyes of people. In other words, Christianity is not dependent on your works of either saving you or getting you to uh, hell. Why? Because in Christianity, it is faith that makes a difference. A faith that is given to you by Jesus Christ. So a, a lot of times I hear preachers saying, well, when you're in trouble, look to the cross and recognize that your sins are forgiven. That needs to be explained because looking to the cross alone is not sufficient because the cross refers to a gift you receive that is the forgiveness of sins that then becomes the true gift that God is giving you that he talks to Abraham about. And that's a new life in a new land. And that land is heaven that you will be in after the day of judgment. This is what Christianity is about. Not about your works, but about the works of Jesus Christ and the promises connected to his works that you believe through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we will be talking about on our next Law and Gospel Monday when we examine a Bible passage from a Law and Gospel perspective. God Listen to Law bless and you. Each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.